Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Genesis 24, Genesis 24, if they were to make a movie about your life, what, <laughs> what actor or actress would you want to play your part of your story? Who would you like to play your spouse and why? Who would you like to play your parents, to play your kids, your co-workers, your arch nemesis, which could have been a schoolyard bully or the teacher or who knows, somebody at work, maybe a boss even. We've all seen movies or made-for-TV movies that at the beginning say based on a true story. And uh, sometimes that phrase is used very loosely, <laughs> extremely loosely. I remember watching a um, based on a true story uh, one time and finding out that one of the two main characters in the movie, who was one of the most interesting characters in the movie, was completely fictional. They just wanted, they, they thought that the story was too boring as told, apparently, so they created this other character. I want you to realize that when we watch a movie that even that's based on a true story, supposedly, there are a lot of artistic liberties. But I want you also to remember that when we're reading in Scripture, the author is not taking any artistic liberties in that sense. These are real people. These are real stories. These are real events. But they are told to us, particularly in the Old Covenant and in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, in particular in the historical books, they are told in a way to communicate the uh, heroes and the villains and to communicate the main uh, actors and the supporting cast uh, in such a way that we can relate to them in stories. They're real stories. They're his stories but they are uh, told in a way that we can uh, relate. And that's what God is using story form for. It's not because any of this is embellished. It's not because any of this is fictional. But we get to see the history of a particular family in Scripture with many of the highs and many of the lows. And we start in Genesis 12 with, the life of Abraham and a uh, Lord willing, as the Lord allows, um, my plan is just to continue uh, on Wednesday nights through the end of this book. Uh, we won't go necessarily every single verse by verse, but we want to go uh, event by event, story by story to look at the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in particular Joseph as we close out these stories and in Genesis 24, we see the handoff between Abraham 
and Isaac. And the character that God uses, the, the individual that God uses, who is the focal point of this particular story, is not Abraham or Isaac. It's an unnamed servant. And I think that God has a purpose in that. I think that God, as we shared last week, has a reason for focusing in on a servant of Abraham, not just any servant either, but the head servant, the one who was the steward over all that Abraham owned and possessed, which in that day and age was an incredibly vast amount because he was incredibly blessed by God so much that even though he was a vagabond, he had to have two camps in the land of Canaan because the land, uh, as he traveled back and forth as a vagabond, could not support all of his flocks and all of his possessions. And so even though he was a vagabond, a stranger, a pilgrim in the land, he had two separate camps that he had to coordinate. And so we have this man who has a very incredibly important role in Abraham's household. And yet in this particular narrative, God chooses to leave him nameless. And I believe one of the reasons for that is to remind us that our own role in the story that God's writing for our lives, our own role is to be the role of a servant. We're not to see ourselves as the main character, even in our own story. And that's the second thing I would point out to you. You are not the main character in your own story. Your creator is the central character in every story. Now, your story is about how you relate knowingly or unknowingly, obediently or defiantly to the main character in every story, every true story, which is our creator, Yahweh, the Lord. And we see that illustrated for us here in Genesis chapter 24. It's, it's interesting as we look at Isaac. We, we have seen him uh, show up in scenes throughout the last several chapters, not prominently until he laid on the altar, but even then it was Abraham's faith that was highlighted. It was Abraham's faith that was highlighted even in Hebrews chapter 11, even though Isaac had to exercise great faith in laying down on the altar as his father raised the knife in anticipation of killing his son and then in anticipation of his resurrection, as Hebrews 11 records, the reason that Abraham was willing to do such an incredibly gripping, obedient act was because he knew by faith the heart of God and the promise of God and knew that in order for God to keep his promise, Isaiah would have to rise from the dead. And so he was, in, he was expressing incredible faith in the character and the promise of God and also in the reality of resurrection to fulfill the promises of God. But even in that, Isaac has not yet become the main focus of even his own story. And so as God begins to pass the baton from Abraham to Isaac, God uses 
this nameless servant, and, and I think it's another reminder, and I, this is the third thing I would point out before we dive back into this text, and that is that so much of our story really comes through the people that God has placed in our lives, the people that God has surrounded us with. The people that are around us are there for one of two reasons. Either God has placed them in our lives or the devil has put them in our lives. Sometimes they are, uh, as Paul says, messengers from the devil meant to be a thorn in our side. That is true. But sometimes God has uh, placed even those painful people in our lives for a reason. I I think I shared this with you. Maybe it was with our Sunday morning Bible study class uh, a few months ago. But I heard someone say, I thought this was so <laughs> painfully true. That if God has placed sandpaper people in your life, it means that you have some rough edges and God is going to use those people to soften some of your rough edges. Sometimes we have sandpaper people in our life because God is using them to smooth us out in certain areas. But whatever the reason that the people that God has placed in our life, none, none of them are there by an, ac- by an accident. I, I know uh, by no shadow of a doubt that God brought Gigi into my life. From a, a, a woman who was born on the other side of the planet, who was uh, living in another state at the time when we began to communicate, I, could, I can very clearly see the hand of God in bringing us together. And our miracle child, Elijah, so very clearly obvious that he is a gift from God to us. But what we need to remember is that that's true of every single person in this room. That's true of every single person in our church, in your family, in your job, your workplace, in your school, wherever you're at. God has placed people in your life. And sometimes it's because you need some rough edges rubbed off. And sometimes it's because You need some encouragement. You need some support. Sometimes it is the devil who is bringing people into our lives. But God has placed people in our lives as part of our story because our story is really always his story. And so we see very little about Isaac in this story that's all about Isaac. He doesn't show up until the very end of the chapter. Lord willing, we'll get to the very end of the chapter here tonight because I I don't want to spend too much more time in this chapter, but I do want to show you a few more things about this servant. And then, Lord willing, before we end tonight, a couple of things about this incredible woman, uh, young woman that God had chosen, that God had chosen for Isaac. We've seen the father's concern for his son's faithfulness. We've seen the servant's role, this nameless servant sent to fulfill a heavenly task dependent on God's divine direction. We've looked at this servant's prayer for the Lord's leading. Uh, I shared with you last week four key steps that we always must take if we want to seek God's will. We must always start with his word, which is God's absolute revealed will for all of us. Then beyond that, when the Bible is unclear, and it is unclear about a lot of things in terms of how we apply those truths to our lives, we have to pray for God's wisdom. 
We need to seek God's wisdom and ask for it and believe, as James says, that we'll receive it. Then we need to respond to the Spirit's leading, God's leading in our life as He takes His Word and the wisdom He promised to give us. The Holy Spirit will lead us through conviction. He'll lead us through encouragement. He'll lead us through the peace that passes understanding. I can't tell you the number of times when the Holy Spirit would bring a verse. In fact, it just happened to me the other night when the Holy Spirit would bring a verse to my mind. Uh, uh, the, verse, the, the verse in question was uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I was just looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1 because I had just agreed I'm, I'm going to have the privilege of teaching through 2 Timothy at um, CCA's chapels beginning in January, January through um, beginning of April. I'm going to be able to walk uh, the students through the book of 2 Timothy. I'm excited about that. But, but as I had made that um, commitment to do that, we get home that night and we open up Elijah's devotional book. And what was the devotion for the night? Second Timothy chapter one. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love and of a sound mind. And uh, I'm just realizing that I had not yet shared that even with my wife, that that moment that hit us. <laughs> that that hit me when I just was like, wow, and I'm reading it. It was right before I fell asleep. So that's why I forgot until until just now we, we did the devotions. We fell asleep and then I, I completely forgot until just now that that had happened. But uh, anyways, the point is that God will lead us and affirm things. And then th that brings us to the last thing we talked about, which was God's confirmation. Now I walk through that again with you tonight because we're going to see this servant who has followed the command of the prophets he didn't have a written word of god but he had the spoken word of the prophet of god abraham who was a prophet of god speaking god's promise to the servant and then we have the servant praying for wisdom responding to leading and now we're going to see he is acting on the confirmation seeking confirmation that god has spoken to him it's so important when we are seeking God's will, when we are trying to discern what God's will is, that we go through those four steps and we take the time to look for the confirmation of God. Many times we pray until we get a feeling that what we want to do is the right thing. Anybody else? Can I get a witness? Have you have been there? I'm praying about it. I, you know what? I think I'm right. I'm going to act on it and I'm going to say I prayed about it. Well, did you get any confirmation? Did you test the spirits to see whether it's really the Holy Spirit leading you or your own spirit? Because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we cannot even know our own heart. And so God says through the prophet Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart. You need to rely on me to search your hearts. And so let's look at how the servant pursued the confirmation that this young, beautiful woman was actually the answer to prayer that Abraham had been praying for, that he had been praying for. I'm sure Isaac was praying as well. And so let's look again as we pick up the story. This servant has prayed that the woman that he's seeking would offer to water his dirty, nasty ten camels which drank a lot of water, by the way. And she is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to the well with heavy buckets of water to meet the needs of these 
uh, camels and this servant. And so the servant says, let it come to pass, verse 14, that the, that the damsel will, will say these things. And the damsel, verse 16, was very fair. She was a virgin. No man had known her. She went down to the well, filled her pitcher, came up. She tells the servant in um, verse 19 that I'll water your camels. And as she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran again unto the well to draw water, drew for all his camels. The man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass as the camels had done drinking that the man took a golden earring. So he's waiting for God's confirmation. But now we're going to see him begin to pursue the confirmation. What does he do? He had took a golden earring, verse 22, a half of a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Notice the first thing that he does here is he pays a price. He pays a price. He begins to give her gifts. He's not entirely sure that she is the one that he's looking for yet. He thinks, he believes. But because he believes that she is probably the one that God has chosen and that God is using her to answer his prayers, he is paying a price. He is giving things of great value and investing in the confirmation. He is paying a price to invest in the confirmation. Please understand that God's blessings come with responsibilities. God's blessings come with responsibilities. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow or variance of turning. But understand that those blessings, we are all servants. We are all stewards. We are all privileged to care for the things that God has entrusted us with. And so my wife is an incredible blessing, but there are tremendous responsibilities that come with being a husband. Our son is an incredible blessing, but there are tremendous responsibilities that come with being a parent. This church is a tremendous blessing, but there are incredible responsibilities that come with being a pastor, with serving in whatever area you serve. There are responsibilities and there is a price to pay. You have a role to play and a price to pay whenever you are seeking an answer to prayer. You have a role to play and a price to pay whenever you are seeking an answer to prayer. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, Ask, and it shall be given to you. But it's not enough to ask. That's, a, that's where you have to start. Many times we don't even start there. You have not, James says, because you ask not. But Jesus said, Jesus said after you ask, you have to do what? You have to... You have to seek. You have to put your hands and feet to your prayers. And then even while you are seeking the answer, you need to knock. You need to knock. You need to knock. You need to keep knocking until the door is opened unto you. You need to keep working and seeking and pursuing God's leading. And there's a price to pay in that. There's a responsibility that comes with the answers of prayer. 
Now notice what happens next. He asks whose daughter she is. Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? This is the most important. I, I know um, most of us, um, you know, we've, we've made this decision already. Uh, we may not face this decision again. But if you are ever again in the situation of choosing a spouse, or if you are giving advice to your children or giving advice to your grandchildren, the most important question that we always should start with is, who is your daddy? Not in terms of the physical father, who may not even be in the picture, but who is your spiritual father? Who is your father is the most important question, as uh, Warren Wiersbe pointed out in his commentary on this particular passage who is your father now remember that's not just reading into the text because Abraham sent him with a specific mission to leave Canaan so that he did not end up marrying his son Isaac did not end up marrying a Canaanite and so this is not just a, a happenstance question this is an actual important question. I need to make sure that you are not a Canaanite woman dressed up as someone uh, from this particular country. I need to find out whose line you are in so that I don't bring back someone who God has commanded my, my, my master not to marry. And so he finds out, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, moreover, unto him, we have both straw and pro, pro, uh, provender enough and room to lodge. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. The man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. Now, I told you that this historical event is written as a story, and what you're going to see now is what writers call foreshadowing. The introduction of a character who is going to become very important later on in this narrative. We find out that Rebecca had a brother. His name was Laban, and Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and bracelet upon his sister's hands, he said, where'd you get that, where'd you get that fine jewelry? You went, didn't you go water? To, didn't you go to get water at the well? How'd you come back dressed like a queen with all this expensive jewelry? So he heard the words of Rebecca. And so he goes to the man at the well. Verse 31, he said, come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore standest thou without? And I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came into the house and he ungirded his camels, gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. Because he's not by himself. He's got a whole entourage. He didn't just lead 10 camels by himself. He has a security detail. He has an entourage here. And there was set meat before him to eat. But he said, now notice this. Uh, this, is, this is something that, that I need to learn, I guess. I will not eat until I have told mine errand. <laughs> and he said, speak on. Now, if that was me and I just traveled from a far country, the first thing I would have wanted to do was eat. The first thing I would have wanted to do was let me 
let me refresh myself. What you got? What's cooking? It smells good. What's for dinner? That's not what he does. He says, no, no, no. I'm not going to get distracted. The second thing I want you to see is he stayed focused on the mission. He stayed focused on the It would not have been a sin for him to have a meal first. But this shows you the, fo- the spiritual focus. It, it reminds me of another woman at another well. Incidentally, it would be an interesting Bible study sometimes, maybe uh, if you're looking for something to study. Uh, women at the wells of Scripture be an interesting study. But there's another women, woman many years later at another well, and she encounters another man named Jesus at that well. And when the woman leaves to go get the people of the city and the disciples show up with food and they said, Jesus, we went, we, here's the food we went to get. And Jesus said, no, 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 not, not right now. I've, I've, got, I've got food you guys don't even know of. And the disciples said, who, who brought him food? Who brought him food? He wasn't talking about food. He was focused on the mission. He was so intent on what God was about to do and, and how the spirit was working. that He said, I don't want to be distracted by food. I don't, I don't want the lasagna to make me yawn. I don't want to feel weighed down. That's the last time I eat lasagna before I preach. Lasagna after you preach, that's a good thing. Lasagna before you preach, not a good thing. He stayed focused on the mission. How is it that we pray and we pray and we pray so intently for something and yet we're so easily distracted by things that aren't sin, food, rest, and we... All of a sudden, you know, we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying and we're like the disciples who fall asleep when we should be watching and praying in the garden. And there's times when when the Holy Spirit will wake us up and say, you need to pray, you need to pray. And then we just get so easily distracted. And it's why our prayers have so little power so much of the time. This man was razor, laser focused on the mission at hand. And then he tells this story. We're not going to unpack everything in this story, but just to summarize, I'll read the beginning of it. He said, I am uh, Abraham's servant. The Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Verse 34, he has become great. He hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he hath, and my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I so here's here's guys, I'm here for I'm here to find a wife. And by the way, your relative Abraham has been incredibly blessed by God, and he has been miraculously given a child by God. And this miracle child is the one I'm looking for a wife for. And I've taken this oath, and now this young Uh, virgin damsel has come to me and she seems to be the answer to my prayer and she told me who she was in verse 48 i bowed down my head and worshiped the lord and blessed the lord verse 49 now if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master tell me and if not tell me that i may turn to the right hand or to the left he gave god praise and worship he gave god praise and worship this is what he does he gives a testimony he gives his testimony but notice he is not the main character in his own testimony it is not look what i have done for god it is look at what god has done for me you read this and he's 
always talking about Abraham, my master, my master, my master. And he's and he's praising Abraham and he's praising Isaac. And ultimately, he's praising God because he says, God has brought me to this point. God has brought me here. God is the one. And I bow down and I worship God because this prayer was answered. We want to seek God's confirmation. We better make sure that we're giving him the praise and the worship. If we are seeking God's leading and our testimony is all about how great we are and what we have done for God and what we are accomplishing for the Lord, then we are only confirming our own bias and only confirming our own self-righteousness and only confirming our own opinion. We're not confirming the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads as we give God praise, as we give God worship, as we make ourselves less and him greater. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease as he increases. And then notice lastly here about this servant. He sealed the deal. He sealed the deal. He brought it to the decision point. He says, look, I, as far as I can tell from everything I have seen in, in the leading of God, the promise of God, the word of God, the wisdom that God has given me, and now the confirmation of God that I have sought and I have given, and I am here telling you the working of God. Now you have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. If you will do kindly and truly, not with me, but with my master. And friend, this is how we need to interact with the world. Because we serve a much greater master than Abraham. As wonderful as Abraham is, father of the faith. We need to recognize that we are servants of the king of kings. We are servants of the Lord. And we need to stop seeing everything as it relates to us. And start seeing everything as it relates to him. Deal kindly and truly with my master, he says. Tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right and to the left. So what does Laban and Bethuel say? They said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. Look, this is obviously God. We cannot speak thee bad or good. Behold, it's obviously from the Lord, but we don't want to make this choice. So we're going to put it all on our daughter. Now, understand in that culture, yes, the woman had the right of approval. The woman had the right to say yes or no, just as you and I have the right to say yes or no to the Lord's will. But they're not really encouraging her, are they, to do what they themselves are saying is God's will. Now, that's an incredible statement about the faith of Rebecca, who we'll get to in just a second, because she's willing to follow God's will even when she's not getting that affirmation from her parents. In fact, we're going to see in just a second her parents get in the way a little bit. But listen to what Rebecca says. Behold, Rebecca is before thee. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Right? We're going to, sit, we're going to send her off. But, but wait, there's more. The story's not done. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. He's back on his face. He's praising God. And the servant brought forth more jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink. Now we get the meal, right? Now we get to eat. And the men that were with him and tarried all night and they rose in the morning. And he said, send me away into my master and her 
brother and mother said, I know we said yes. I know we said this was God's will. But let the damsel abide with us a few days. Well, at the least 10. And after that, she shall go. See, they paid lip service to what God wanted. But they weren't really ready to send off their daughter to do God's will. They weren't really ready to send her away to do God's will because wouldn't it be a lot more financially beneficial to keep her around another 10 days? What might we get during those 10 days? Look at how we've been showered with gold and blessing and jewels and all of this precious wealth that has been heaped upon us, uh, maybe we can get a little more of that from the servant before we agree to really send our daughter. And the servant says, no, no, no. I'm focused on the mission. I'm here to seal the deal. And he saith unto them, verse 56, hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Listen, You do understand that this is the Lord's leading, right? You do understand that this is God's hand that's moving here. Send me away now. Let me go now that I may go to my master. And they said, well, we'll call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. See, now they put it. Here's where they put it off on her. Here's where they have tried to step in the way. They have paid lip service to God's will, but now they're going to be a hindrance. We as parents need to be very, very careful that we do not play lip service to God's will in our kid's life, but then constantly throw up roadblocks, but then constantly say, yeah, but that's not really convenient for us. Because what will happen? Our kids will see, and none of us had perfect parents, right? None of us had perfect parents. So we've seen it in our own parents' lives when a parent says one thing and does another. Hopefully, that's very rare in our kids' experience or our grandkids' experience from what they see in us. But we say one thing and then we do something different. And as it's been said, more is caught than taught. Our kids will learn more from our actions than our advice from our walk than our words, but we all still are responsible to make our own decisions. And Rebecca shows us that we can't just put it off on our parents. We have to be willing to do what God has called us to do. Verse 58, they called Rebecca, said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca, and they said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of the thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebecca arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Thankfully, thankfully, they affirmed and supported Rebecca's Submission and obedience. I want to say one thing, uh, two things quickly as we close here about Rebecca. About Rebecca. Proverbs 31, 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she 
shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Here is a young woman, a damsel, a young woman, but no damsel in distress. She is someone who is willing, even as a young girl, to take an incredible step of faith in obedience to the revealed will of God in her life. Favor is deceitful. Favor is deceitful. Now, I was taught as a young man, don't just look at the outside, and that's great. That's great advice. Don't just look at the outside. But notice Solomon says here, or, or the, this, uh, the writer of Proverbs 31 says here, why you don't trust in just physical beauty? Because it's fleeting. It's fleeting. But notice, you don't trust in personality either. You don't just marry somebody for their personality because of how funny they are or how, how good they make you feel or how fun they are to be with. Because the Holy Spirit says favor or charm is deceptive. It, it needs to be about more than your charming personality and your physical beauty. And this is true for men and women. It needs to be about our character. It needs to be about our heart. And why did God choose Rebecca for Isaac? What was it about her character that gave her true beauty? It was her humility and her obedience. Her, her humility and her obedience. Now, we've already talked about her humility. She, as a young woman, willing without being asked to give water to the camels back and forth, back and forth, pulling up that bucket full of water, carrying that heavy bucket to the trough, dumping the water in back and forth, back and forth. Why was she willing to? Because she was humble. She wasn't just saying, hey, look how pretty I am. Wait on me hand and foot. I think I shared last week, there are a lot of pretty girls, or girls that I thought were pretty until they opened their mouth. <laughs> and I thought, she ain't pretty anymore. She ain't pretty anymore. Proverbs says that a beautiful woman without discretion is like shoving a, a jewel up a pig snout. It's, it's a waste of something that should be wonderful and a gift. But she showed humility. Listen, the test of humility is not just in how we speak, but also in how we serve. You can tell someone is not humble by how they speak. But sometimes just hearing a person speak does not show you that they are truly humble. It's not until you see them serve. Because true humility is not just what we say, it's how we serve. And the humblest people, the people who are truly the most humble, are the people who are serving others who they don't know have anything. To, she doesn't know that she's going to get lavish with jewelry. She doesn't know that she's going to uh, be on uh, uh, The Bachelor and get picked by this incredibly wealthy man. She doesn't know that. She makes decisions based on her character, not based on what she thinks she's going to get out of it. And she's rewarded. And then notice her obedience is immediate. Immediate obedience because delayed obedience is really disobedience when i know what god wants me to do why are you waiting why are you waiting what are you waiting for what are you waiting for well i'll do it tomorrow i know god wants me to do i'll start tomorrow 
I'll start on Monday. And Monday becomes, uh, you know, it's almost January 1st. Great time for a New Year's resolution. And then suddenly you're into April. And you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe when Easter rolls around, I'll recommit myself. And, and, what ha- and, and, and then all of a sudden, five years have gone by, ten years have gone by. And we haven't dealt with what God was leading us to do. Who God was showing us we need to become in the little steps. D.L. Moody said, many of us are willing to do great things for God. Not many of us are willing to do the little things. But it's the little things that build us up and that God uses to equip us and enable us to do the big things. She showed true humility, immediate obedience. And what happened as we close? God kept his promises. We see her riding on a camel. She sees Isaac out in the field. He lifted up his eyes. He saw the camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. When she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. That was not a cigarette. No cigarette jokes here, okay? I know you've heard the cigarette joke. Where's the first cigarette in the Bible when Rebecca lighted off her camel? No, we're not not telling that joke tonight. Oops, I just did, sorry. She had said unto the servant, What man is that that walketh in the field to meet us? The servant said, Oh, that's him. That's my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, took Rebekah. She became his wife. We find out in the next chapter he's 40 years old at this point, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother mother says, God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. He comforts the hurting. He doesn't promise us we'll never hurt. He promises us that he will comfort us in the hurting. And he always blesses obedience. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we thank you for this historical event. God, this beautifully written and told story of this young man and young woman and how you worked through this nameless servant, God, to keep your promises and to bring them together and to bless them exceedingly, God. And God, may we learn from the servant. May we learn from Abraham. May we learn from Rebecca, God. That you bless obedience, that you keep your promises. And you're the God who never changes. You'll do for us and be there for us just as you were for them. Because your heart is the same. And we are your children. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.